You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Jose, a freelance theater critic. I'm Ayana, the newest um, co-host on Token Theater Friends. Yes, and we are your token theater friends. Ayana, I am so excited to have you as uh, this is the first time we're co-hosting anything together, right? Yes. Thank you, Jose, for choosing me. I appreciate it so much. I mean, like, I mean, no, like it's like it's a gift <laughs> to have you here. Is this the first time that we've ever like worked together in anything though? Yes, I think we the only thing we went to see together um, was a musical that was like very trash. I, I forgot what it was. It was like it was so bad. I don't even remember the name of it. Um, but yeah, that's it. We haven't really worked together. Yeah, so I don't want to say I know I'm so excited. I don't want to say the title because like I know a lot of people. I like it also. Like I know a lot of people who like it. I'm going to give oh. you a clue. It's a it's a like a sci fi teenager. Musical. Yes. <laughs> yes, which I love. So we're not going to offend those people. But anyway, um, <laughs> tell us a little bit about uh, what you do for our listeners who are getting to know you for the first time today. Sure. Um, I'm the founder of RBK Social, which is um, a Brooklyn digital hub for Brooklynites looking into history or dining or just want to talk to each other. I offer that platform to them. Um, I'm also a freelance theater critic. Um, I write for Broadway Direct, Exeunt New York City, um, and a couple of other publications. And I am the newest theater co-editor at the Brooklyn Rail, which I'm excited about, but that starts in January. So can't give you too much information on that, but it starts in January and I'm looking forward to it. Congratulations. Like you've had a really good uh, year, I would say, right? Yeah, the, the end of 2020 has been really good. So it makes up for everything else that went on this year. <laughs> oh my God, I hear you on that. So we have a pretty packed show today and it's the last day of the year. So we're gonna be doing reviews. We're gonna be doing some interviews. Uh, then we're gonna do our top shows of the year. Mm-hmm. And then we have a special surprise at the end. So Ayana, do you wanna tell our listeners what shows we're gonna be reviewing first? Yes, we're going to be um, talking about Meet Me in St. Louis um, at the Irish Trap. And we're also going to be talking about A Christmas Carol, an audio play, which I'm excited about. So, Okay, how about we start with Meet Me in St. Louis? And you picked the show, so tell us a little bit about what it is and 
let's let's go for it. Yeah, so Meet Me in St. Louis is a digital play um, that Irish Rep uh, put together. And I thought it, it, when I think about this play, I look at the future of theater and theater not just being something where we all commune and go to Broadway or off-Broadway, that we can actually see it. It offers access to people who may be um, unable to pay for a ticket and go to see Broadway. Um, and I thought that this show in particularly was well done to the point where um, it, it gets an A plus for, for effort. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, so I thought that um, Meredith Sommer's editing was, she did as best as she could. Um, for you had actors that weren't in the same room that she had to connect them and you know put them over Charlie uh, Cochran's staging um, set design and I thought that he that she did as as best as she could. Um, I would have preferred that this would have been an audio play. The musical numbers were my favorite. I didn't particularly like, um, you know, seeing the lack of chemistry um, because the, the actors weren't in the same room. You can almost tell that they weren't because there was a lack of chemistry. Musical numbers, uh, Shireen Ahmad um, was one of my favorite as Esther Smith. She was charming um, as she led um, the trolley song, which is my grandmother's <laughs> favorite song of all time. So oh. um, I actually had her watch it, watch it with me. And she was very excited about that. Um, and I just thought that, you know, it, it, it was, it, it served its purpose as a digital play. Um, it, they, it, Irish Rep is a small theater and I'm not a, expecting it to be like some big production, but um I feel like they did what they had to do. <laughs> I mean, you know how much of a Judy Garland fan I am. And yeah. The question for me was always like, you know, like why, uh, why remake like a Judy classic that's mm. like um, such like a staple for the yeah. holiday season? And I mean, obviously, I don't think anyone's trying to like, you know, fill in. Uh, Judy Garland's shoes, because that's like pretty impossible. Right. But I agree with you that uh, Shireen Ahmed was really, really wonderful. And I was reading about her and she was doing the uh, My Fair Lady uh, tour, I think, before, you know, everything went to hell earlier this mm -hmm. year. And I thought, you know, I, I, I was like, I want to hear more about the no chemistry thing. So that's like, because mm. that's like, I mean, uh, I'm nodding over here. But I thought that, you know, even without that chemistry that's like so evident in the movie, um, she sold every scene to me. Like she was so committed to the part. Mm -hmm. And she had that almost like same eagerness to please that Judy Garland had uh, when she acted. So I was just like, you know, like in love with her. She was 
really, 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 really wonderful. So let's hear about the chemistry thing again, because like you just like skimmed over that. <laughs> um, I just felt like there, like you can tell that there was a lack of chemistry, but only because that these actors are not in the same room. They're kind of, it's pre-recorded, they're solo. You can't, I don't know if you can edit it to make it feel like, you know, there's chemistry when the actors are not together. They're kind of just feeding off of what has been pre-recorded. And I don't know, I don't know what you can do to be able to make that work. Um, I, but I think Meredith did the best that she could um, right. with editing um, this project. So, yeah. I have to say that I was, uh, I was really moved by two things that I wasn't expecting at all. Like the first, the first one was that we got to see the orchestra play. Oh yes, the overture. yes, yes, yes. And then uh, the, uh, I don't know how to pronounce this word. I'm so sorry, but you know, the song after intermission, and just seeing an orchestra play again before show started made me so happy, Ayana. Yes, that's where the chemistry came in because they were in the same room. You had the seven-piece orchestra live. It was. It was beautiful, yeah, for sure. And then I was like, I'd say that I was like very moved also by the uh, the the last scene where they kind of like put everyone together. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's just like, I don't know, maybe I'm just like a huge sap because this has been such a strange year, but just yeah. you know, knowing that none of these people were in the same room mm -hmm. and yet they were, they'd come together for, something like so sweet and so beautiful and so touching and so i don't know uh oh god i'm gonna turn into a sap again right now so <laughs> i'm sorry i was i was just really moved by that that you know every mm -hmm. miami is like the perfect i think like encompassing of the uh of the great effort that the theater community has done this year mm -hmm. when everything is you know so uncertain so i was very moved by it and i also give it a a plus for effort like we're being very generous right now <laughs> Because um, <laughs> I was also, moved and touched and yeah. Also being able to see the diverse cast because Irish Rep is not known for that. So um, it looks like they're moving into um, the 21st century um, and getting the point. So we'll see. You know, and I was like, I was really, uh, I really, really loved uh, Kylie uh, Kyoka as Tootie. Mm. It's like Tootie, you know, like Margaret O'Brien's Tootie is like one of those like legendary like child performances. And she was really lovely. So yes, like I had a really pleasant time. And Meet Me in St. Louis is going to be available to stream through January 2nd. So uh, next up, we listen to an audio version of the Christmas Carol that the Goodman Theater was doing. It's an adaptation by Tom Creamer and it was adapted for audio by Nina Arndt, Jessica Thebus, and Richard Woodbury, and directed by Jessica Thebus. Do we really need to tell people what A Christmas Carol is about right now? No, but we okay. do need to tell them that it is an audible, audible play, and I thought it was fantastic. Oh, really? I mean, yeah, when because like, yeah, I, I was, I said to Ayana <laughs> before we started recording that I was like <laughs> kind of bored by it, but. <laughs> What I meant is like, I'm kind of bored by this story. Like, yeah, okay. How many, yeah, how many versions of a Christmas Carol did you see? Do we need? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, and how many were available this year? Also, like, there were like at least four audio versions of it that I saw, mm -hmm. and I was like, really? 
Um, <laughs> it's probably I mean, the easiest to do also during um, theater shutdown, probably. I, I know, but like, I mean, like, imagine why not me in St. Louis, like you said. Right. Right. Um, yeah, like, I don't, I don't know that you can even do anything new with a Christmas Carol by now. Uh, which is not to say that this wasn't like excellently produced and like the voices were great and the sound effects were incredible and all that. Yes. But, but <laughs> tell me a little bit about <laughs> why you loved it so much. Cause I'm like, I was like, okay. So I, um, I watched it completely with my eyes closed because I wanted to do my own staging. I mean, that's what you have to do with an audible play, but the sound mixing was phenomenal. I thought like, like you can, from the closing of the doors to the wind to the fireplace crackling to the bells it was just like it made you feel like you were in the theater um i i want to tell people if they're going to listen to this play to listen to it with soundproof headphones because it's like the best way to listen to this show um it makes like who did the sound mixing um Richard Woodbury, Richard Woodbury, he did a phenomenal job. Um, I also think that the voices, I, but I believe that these characters are the stage characters for the Goodman Theater because they do this every year. So I believe that they're the same characters. Um, so they got the dialects of like Scrooge and the ghosts of Christmas past and present. They have that down packed and it, it, as an audible play, I just feel like it, it. it's one of my favorite versions. I wanna say that. I mean, I've seen A Christmas Carol so many times, but I've never actually just heard it without seeing it. So I thought that um, it's actually better told as a story than as it is on stage. Can I be it bold enough to say that? I mean, I'm not gasping because like I never thought I would hear you say that anything would be like better than a stage version. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I just um, felt like it was told so beautifully. Um, I mean, and and then you don't with an audible play. I found myself not looking at each cast member in particular. Like I I listened to them as a whole as an ensemble, and I thought they were all great together. And I, I don't know if they taped in the same room at the same time, but it felt like they were together. You felt the chemistry almost, you know what I mean? I know what I mean. And now I feel like I'm Scrooge right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, cause I was like, okay, uh, not for me. I mean, no, I was lovely. I enjoyed it. I was having some bourbon while I listened to it. Uh, I did not do the headphone thing, uh, but I was listening on like a surround, you know, uh, speaker. And mm -hmm. yeah, like I, I was impressed by moments where I felt like my room was like rattling with like the ghosts up here and all this stuff. Um, I don't know, like, I, you know, I don't want to be like, again, like I don't want to be the Scrooge mm -hmm. in 2020, but I do hope that maybe next year we're going to be seeing uh, fresher stories. Mm -hmm. Christmas stories mm -hmm. like please write us some Christmas plays right now if you're home playwrights and let's make them happen next year mm -hmm. or bring a Christmas Carol the musical back which they haven't done seriously they haven't done in years I don't remember the last time I've seen it 
Um, they used to do it every year at Madison Square Garden um, when I was a child. And I think that's a version that if you want to bring it back, it would have to be the musical. It can't be the play anymore. We've gotten that over and over again. So yeah, did you enjoy there. the did you enjoy the play they did last year with uh, Campbell's Con and the Trons and uh, Andrew Martin? <sighs> Not particularly. I enjoyed the set design, the lighting, um, but I wasn't a fan of the the play itself. Okay, that's fair. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, no disrespect to the people who made this Christmas Carol and who put so much love and effort into it, but I really have nothing else to say other than great job. I mean, it did what it was meant to do. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I was like, and I'm sorry if I sound like a Scrooge, like, I don't know this respect. <laughs> I'm just, I'm happy that all of you got to do something that you uh, do every year. Like yes. that sense of continuity must have been like really wonderful to have, I guess. So bravo to everyone. Bravo. <laughs> all right, next up, since we're talking about audio plays, I did an interview with playwright Stacey Osei-Kapoor and director Whitney White of Animals, which is now available on Audible. So let's go check out that interview and we will be right back. Stacey Osei-Kapoor and Whitney White, welcome to Token Theater Friends. So happy to have you both here because you are actually uh, in our last episode of the year. So we're gonna look back wow. a little bit at everything that happened. Uh, we can yeah. like try to forget. Maybe I should have suggested we did like shots or have wine or something. So as no, we look back. <laughs> but let's let's start talking about about animals and how was it for for you to uh, you know turn the play into an audio play? Yeah, I think um, it was really interesting and really fun and tough and um, exciting. It felt like the right play to turn into, you know, a radio audible play. And I think when um, Whitney and I first found out that this was happening, you know, she just called me and said how fun it was going to be. And um, that just made me so excited to get started and um, and to see what we could do. And I think um, it was just really fun, um, you know, kind of exactly what she said and really amazing to see the play transform and the actors transform um, and, and to learn so much um, also from the play because I wrote it seven years ago. And not only did I feel I was adapting it to be more of today. Um, I also felt like I was adapting it, um, you know, for the radio, for you know, just for people who are listening to it. So it was, it was a wild journey. Can you, without kind of like giving too much away, because I feel like this is a play where you could, where you could say like, oh we can't spoil it, right? Because like you have to like interact with the characters, but also there are some things that you can really spoil. So I don't wanna, I don't wanna spoil anything. So I'll let the two of you describe uh, what animals is about. Okay, Whitney, do you wanna go or? Well, animals is this incredible piece of work by Stacy that follows four New Yorkers um, 
one evening when they decide to have a dinner party and that's kind of the like straight laced description of it but really i think for me what the play is about is the central character lydia this african-american woman who's kind of grappling with the decisions she's made in her life and uh the life she kind of walked away from that's kind of represented by uh one of her dinner guests that comes over and it's like a play that looks at uh, the the lives, the prisons we make for ourselves. I feel like it, in the pandemic right now, it's like when the shutdown happened, everybody was stuck in their own life slash prison that they made themselves. And I think animals, even though it's it stands, I think it stands, it will stand the test of time. It's really about a black woman looking at the decisions she's made and and kind of fantasizing for a life that never was and probably a life that she shouldn't have. Um, and so it's about race and sex and New York and and what animals New Yorkers can be. <laughs> I really love that, you know, I was listening uh, in my headphones and then I also listened to it on my speaker. Mm. And I really love how, I don't know, Stacey, for you, when you're writing it, like, do you feel like the characters, I promise I'm not stoned by the way, but do you feel like the characters are like speaking to you inside your head? And then Whitney, when you take the scripts and you, you know, and you turn your vision into a production, do you feel like it's a speaker? See, this is like a stone question and I promise I haven't had anything. Wow. No edibles or nothing. Um, that's a interesting question because when I was in London um, last year doing a job, I saw this play, um, <laughs> I can't even, I, I, I believe at the National, I can't remember what it's called, um, but we had to listen to it only on our headphones. And I had never watched anything like that before. And it was so amazing to hear sometimes when a character would, you know, kick a box with their foot and, and say something under their breath or another character would say a secret or you would hear, you know, it would be completely dark in the theater and you would have to listen to this woman moaning in pain and I didn't realize it until now really that that seeing that play you know really helped me understand um shaping animals to you know an audible play and what I really loved was being able to have those moments you know having a character say something under their breath and have little secrets and little things that you wouldn't get in a theater. And, um, you know, when Whitney and I started really exploring those things and having fun with those things, I felt the play, you know, come alive in a new way. So yes, I do think I'm the headphones. <laughs> <I'll answer. laughs> um, for me, I feel like it's not so much that I hear how it should go in my mind, but I feel the rhythm of how it should go in my mind. And when I, you know, when I first read this play, that's so crazy to hear you say that you wrote it seven years ago, time flies. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember the first time I read it, it just makes you kind of lean forward because you can start to feel this dialogue and, and language flying at the speed of light at the pace with which we normally speak every day. And that really excites me when a playwright gives you the challenge of dialogue that's just like moving like a train and you've got to get in there and carve it out. And yeah, so it's not so much that I hear how it should go, but I feel um, the pace at which it should maybe go. I love that because that, that makes a lot of sense. Like the, there's a total beat to it where like, I kind of felt like, I don't know, uh, 
what this says about me, but I was kind of like enjoying just like being like an eavesdropper. And mm-hmm. just like, I was like, these people are like, and like, you know, NMS. And um, I, 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 you know, it's always like so difficult to talk about this because like we all love the sage so much. And I wonder if there are things about uh, transforming this into an audio play that you're like, hey, I really love uh, doing this. Maybe I'll try to apply this mm-hmm. when, if the vaccine works and all of that. And I don't want to get too dark, but you know, like when we are able to go back to theaters and, and gather in community, like are there things about the process that you want to like keep forever maybe that you really love uh, oh trying God. out and doing? That's such a great question. I mean, I think for me, we had to talk about so much stuff, so much, so much. And you normally I do table work with my play processes, but because we couldn't all be in the same room and the actors were sent these kits and we truly did it virtually. It's like the first time I've ever done anything completely virtually. Mm. I had to rely on the actors a lot and be like, hey, how did that feel for you? Did you hear any atmospheric noise on your end? Did you tell me what you're feeling? Okay, are you standing? Tell me where you're standing. And I feel like I had to have a dialogue with the actors that, that was actually very rich and sensory based. So it was a lot of sensory-based conversation. And I'd love to bring that into a a rehearsal process for a theatrical piece that's going to be in person. Because a lot of times you're talking about character and world and story, and you're not so much asking people, hey, how did that feel? What's your impulse about that? You know what I mean? And I thought that was really positive, kind of, yeah, I thought that was very positive and successful. Yeah, I think for me, something that I want to take to the stage when it does come back is I started to think about the way people listened in a different way. Um, I I imagine people like in their cars or, you know, working out while listening to this play or, you know, just sitting at home, but understanding that like something's going to pop on their phone and they're going to be texting while listening to this. And, and I just, wanted the play to be clearer because of that. And I wanted it to be so sharp that when, you know, a character would say something, if you like come out, you know, if you come back in the room um, from listening to the play, you're like, wait, what did that character just say? You know, I wanted to um, make people feel that and really um, grab onto the the train of the play. And I don't think that, I cared that much when I was, you know, writing the play at the time about, you know, how people are listening and how people are receiving information. And um, that's just a cool thing to kind of think about now. And, you know, I think in the theater, maybe not every person is going to hear when a character kicks a box and has a secret or whatever. And, you know, I think that's something I want to pull in to my work more, it's, it's not precious. You know, some people are gonna get it and some people aren't and that there's something cool and exciting about that. It was super freaky for me. Cause like when I was listening to it uh, on a speaker, like before before signing uh, into Zoom, I, I wanna like go into the whole story cause like I feel it's like ridiculous but I've been like having the hardest time buying a freaking ham. Like mm. I've tried to buy a ham three times so mm-hmm. far and it's like it's like ridiculous like it's it's insane like my card first like 
pros. And anyway, like it's so as I was trying to buy this ham, one of the characters in the play says something about like not eating pork. And I'm like, I felt like they were like spying on me for a second. Mm -hmm. And I was like, um, this like makes, you know, like it, it made no sense. But I really love that idea that uh, we get to bring the place with us home in a way, which mm -hmm. is something that we can't really do otherwise. And I wonder if there's also a sense of that for you, you know, like uh, the work that you do on stage, like it's vanishes and people see it and then, you know, it's gone unless like they remember it. But now like I get to live with the characters if I want to, like I get to wake up with them, I get to have them judge me for not getting my ham. I'm sorry you didn't get the ham. No. It sounds really good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I would love him right now, but um, um, whether you're vegan, whether you eat pork, um, <laughs> I think uh, there's something freaky about being able to replay it and being able to um, live with these characters forever. Um, but there's also something so cool. You know, I want people to go back and listen. I want people to you know, say like, oh my God, that's me, or that's my ex-boyfriend, or like, um, I wish I could be bold like that. Like, I, I don't know. I just, um, there's something really cool about it being able to exist for so many new people and so many new places. And, you know, the things that we talk about in this play are, are big and heavy and complicated and you know, especially the race stuff, but also, you know, there's some things about, you know, um, the main character, Lydia, she was very young when she got with her current partner. And, you know, there's some touchy things on there. Um, and I'm just excited to see how certain people respond to those things. I don't know if I'll ever get to see it, but um, I'm, I'm excited by the idea of it, for sure. I had a... Um... Friend, I have a colleague I met when I was directing the show with the grad students at NYU years ago, and he was um, he worked with the, in the NYU department. I haven't seen him for years. And I got an email from him, and he was like, "Greetings from Sydney, Australia. I've just had my second child. I just listened to Animals." And oh my god! Oh, Stacy, I like it. It it, it moves That's crazy. Me. And he was like, "How are you?" And I'm like, "How are you?" And so. It is freaky to be able to keep listening to it because I'm used to working in an ephemeral business. Yeah. And that's why theater is so, you know, so can be so intense. You can put something up there that will only live there and then it'll get a, kind of dissipate. But I do feel gifted by this opportunity Stacey's given me with working on this piece because it's connecting me to people across borders. It's like breaking down these borders in my life um, that New York theater often creates so many borders and boundaries um, in terms of access and who gets to see the work and who feels welcome, welcome to work and all that stuff. And so I feel like, again, you ask, what can we take into the future? And I'm like, I'm trying to learn a lesson right now about accessibility and, and breaking down borders. And Stacy's play just gave me that opportunity. So I'm really grateful. I also think, I'm so sorry, I have to say this because I listened to the play recently and it was really hard because I found myself still trying to edit it. And I think that's the kind of um, 
person I am. I can be exhausting in that way where it feels like something is never finished. And I can imagine that if this play, if Whitney and I had been able to do the stage version, I would probably still be editing it or trying to fine tune it or make it better or my idea of what perfect is. And I think I can't do that with this. You know, I had to let go. And that's something that this experience really taught me is that, um, you know, I think a really funny email I was thinking about the other day is Jessica, um, who is our point person at Audible. She sent an email of the play, um, you know, like an early cut of it a couple days ago. And my response was, thank you so much. Is this a final version or can we keep, you know, editing it? And she was like, Stacy, this is the final version. And so that was really hard for me you know, the idea that um, I had to let the play go, you know, um, it's, it's really scary. It's, it's a part of, you know, because I, yeah, I love, obviously I love theater so much. I wonder, I, I don't think I've ever asked this to any theater makers, like, it's a part of theater feeling like it can always become something else. Like it's never done one of the reasons why you love doing it. Like it, there's no like finality to it, right? Like it, you could always improve. I mean, I personally do. It's like, I always think that when I'm directing, I'm making a, a, an organism and that organism grows like a heart and then legs and then arms mm -hmm. and then hair, and then it's up and it's going. And it's, it's pretty, you know, I had for the first time in my career last season, like the longest running show I've ever had. It was supposed to close in six weeks and then it like picked up again and again and again. And I remember the feeling of like going and seeing my actors that I loved so much and seeing them closing night and being like, who are those people? And it was kind of thrilling. So I do think there is something about theater I love because it can grow. It's like limitless potential because it's never really locked. Um, so I do think, yeah, that's one of the powerful things about that medium of, of art making is it can always grow and change. And I wonder, Stacey, for you, like doing TV, has that, has that made uh, this process easier? Because like you, or do you try to like edit like your TV scripts as well? Um, well, I think, you know, in the TV space, um, which I feel so lucky to have gotten into and to be a part of, I think that has less control. And so I contractually am, you know, obligated to to do a certain amount of edits on a script and a certain amount of drafts. And once I turn that in, it doesn't belong to me, it belongs to the showrunner. And that's um, great because then that's their responsibility, but sometimes it's also hard. And I think that's the joy of being a playwright. You know, that's my version of being showrunner and I get to redo the script as many times as I want. And I think in the TV space, um, it's less control. And so um, it's more hands off for me, for sure. Okay, since the play takes place uh, at dinner party, what wine, what drink, what snacks mm. would suggest people pair it with? Because I tried wow. it with chips. <laughs> Thank I you. Try. So I tried it with wine, tried it with beer, tacos, and I tried it also one time with uh, cheesecake and a Diet Coke. Oh okay, wow. How many times have you listened? 
I was on three and a half because I was listening on my speaker before coming here. So okay. need my headphone and uh, one time, well, half a time, a speaker. Those are some beautiful snacks and foods. They're good. Like it was like, I was like kind of like, you know, like I felt like that extra guest who's like just like eating quietly sure. well. Sure, sure, sure. Well, I think if it were, I, I love the dinner party. That's part of the reason why I wrote this play. I think wine would be stunning with this play, um, especially because there's a lot of wine talk and that's what they're drinking for the majority of it. A fun drinking game is to maybe drink every time a character drinks, you know, every time you hear refill or are we opening the wine, feel free to take a drink, have a good time. Um, that's what I would pair it with. They're also having bacon wrapped dates as an appetizer. Go ahead. Why not? Try it. I love a bacon wrapped date, especially if it's crispy and made correctly. And I think the last thing is, um, I mean, you can never go wrong with something crunchy. And I feel like each character is a little crunchy in its own way. So let's let's close this out with chips and salsa. And that's that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> not that um, much. <laughs> Uh, and you can feed me. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> yeah. that, that would be my honor. Like, I remember that line about, like, it's just dinner, you're not Martha Stewart, and, like, how I almost choked. So it's yeah. so funny. So <laughs> many people have said that to me. But just take out Martha Stewart and say something. It, someone else. Just... Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Next time, I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. Uh, so looking back, what has been like I don't know, I don't even have to say anything about this year. It's been it's been it's been 2020. Yeah. Um, I wonder, you know, besides the uh, the thing that like I'm like really ridiculous. I try not to say the the p word. I call it a p word or like the c word. Um, besides that, for instance, like how would you say like if you maybe. Maybe it's too, like early in December to like try to look back, but like, mm. how would you say you are right now as both a human being and an artist yeah. compared to how you thought you were going to uh, be at this point uh -huh. uh, when you started? Wow. I mean, so Stacy and I had been planning to do this show. Um, IRL in person as part of the summer season at Williamstown Theater Festival. And so it's funny, putting up a play, it requires all this prep time. So you start working on a play like six, eight months, maybe more before you actually do it. Meetings, meetings, designer meetings, coming up with the way it looks, the way it's going to sound, all of it. And because of the kind of intense nature of the festival, you've got to really get on it. So it's like I had been thinking and dreaming of the play. The pandemic hit February, March, and we were going to go into rehearsal in what, June, July, Stacy. So mm -hmm. it was like, that was right when it all was going to gear up. And um, it's funny. It's like, in a way, we had a full production in many ways because we would have meetings with Audible every week and Williamstown and with Mandy Greenville, the incredible artistic director. Shout out to her. Yeah. Um, but she really is the one who made this possible. She brought her season to Audible and in this kind of visionary way advocated for all the directors and writers to stay together. Um, yeah. and it's kind of an incredible uh, deal that she brokered. I'm incredibly grateful. But it's like, in a weird way, we had a production process, right? We were like meeting over months, you know? It wasn't like we just threw it together. 
So when I think about like where I was supposed to be and where I ended up, this piece was like a constant for me. This Stacy's play was like my constant besides the disturbing news cycle in this period. And um, I'm just, yeah, I keep saying I'm grateful, but it's like, it is, it's a positive point. I mean, look, our business, I will wrap this TED talk up quickly, but our business requires an insane amount uh, of output from the individual artists in order to operate and work at a certain level. And it's, it's almost impossible. And so this forced pause we were all in was like good for me in many ways and challenging in many other ways. But it is interesting, like Stacy and animals was like the recurrent thing throughout all of it and it being finally out feels so weird. I'm like, oh, is the year over now? It's like, I feel like I'm graduating from school or something again um, because of the way we put this thing up. I hope I answered that question. Uh, I probably didn't, so let's- No, you did, it was great. And I think, I think for me um, at, at the beginning of this pandemic, I'm gonna say it, um, I, I was really, I was like, I'm gonna write 15 scripts and I'm gonna do like all of Chrissy Teigen's recipes and I'm <laughs> gonna lose 15 pounds. And, and, you know, I just had, this was like at the top, this was March. And I was like, I'm gonna, like animals is gonna be the best thing. You know, I've, what's crazy is I used to work at the Duke as an usher in the same building that Williamstown Theater Festival, like where their headquarters or their offices are. And I think, you know, I went to um, New York City in March to do, you know, to see the auditions with Whitney. Oh my God. I, <laughs> I know, remember? My first face mask. Yeah. We yeah. had auditions that month in March. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy to me that I was an usher in that building and I'm like taking the elevator <laughs> to the top to meet Mandy. It felt like finally this is my moment. And then, you know, as a playwright, just something that I, I dreamed about Williamstown Theater Festival since I was 20, you know, 21. That's when I really started writing. So, you know, I'm 33 now and that's fucking insane. And I think, <laughs> I think like, how did I think this year was going? I thought I'd be running things. I thought, I thought everything was going to go my way. And like, I'm so grateful that it didn't. I've learned so much. I, I feel so, you know, I have two therapists now, like things I never, <laughs> you know, I didn't start out with, with those things at the top of the year. And, um, I feel lucky for this play and everything that it, it has taught me. And I just appreciate, you know, that it's just been wild, but I still have, you know, I'm still here with you and being able to do this interview. And um, so I'm grateful. Yeah. There's like two things that I really, and I'm sorry, like my friends usually like wanna murder me when I get into like my Pollyanna. Mm -hmm. uh, mood as I'm I about to get so. right now. So come on, I, I did, I so did. There's, there's like two things that, that, you know, like I really love about what you're saying. And this is like my total Pollyanna moment and I'll, you know, I'll see myself out if like you want to kill me after this. Like, no! Like, is it like so beautiful that you get to be, uh, you know, if things go back to, uh, 
if we are allowed outside, basically, next year, you get to be like the Williamstown season that will live forever. Oh, like, that's so nice. Forever. Yes. That's crazy. That is crazy. That's and it's like you and like Audra and Streetcar. And it's just it's like a mind blowing season that people can like, you know, like fold in their phones and put in their pockets or whatever and like keep forever. So I think that's like really badass. And the other thing is that Whitney, like when you were saying that you had animals the entire time, I was like, how lucky were you to have animals and not to have just like the election mm-hmm. all the time. Really? And our cast also just once they were in the mix, it was a beautiful little reprieve from, yeah, the world that we're living in. Yeah. What are you doing right now in terms of self-care? Because like, I think it's so easy to forget that, especially when you're working from home. Uh, that I'm like, recently I've been like, oh, I've been working for 17 hours. Uh, go me, yeah. which like, no. So what, what are you Stacey doing? Like, are you doing animals? That? really motivated me to take better care of myself. I have to be honest about that. Really? Yeah, when you were exercising and eating well and... Oh, not anymore. I just, before this, I had wings and fries. They're still on my mind. Ice cream, those three things. Uh, But she did motivate me. And I think right now, you know what? I've discovered the power of candles. A good, like, Mm. your lights low, light some candles, cook yourself. Mm -hmm. Close your laptop. I feel mm-hmm. like that's what I'm doing for self-care. A lot of like household chores, but with candles. That's nice. <laughs> I'm gonna show you what I have over here. It's like I love candles, but I'm also like become like really obsessed with like myrrh. Oh, oh. yeah. Like I, rose. I don't know what I don't know what that is. Myrrh is one of the three kings brought baby Jesus in the Bible. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I uh, I didn't know that, but thank you both. Um, and some of the things um, that I've been using for self care um, are um, hmm, candle. Yeah, sorry to copy. Um, oh, walks. I've been taking walks. I've been I've been going on walks around the neighborhood, which is. Um, oh, I mean, not really. I have, I wear a mask and, um, um, I think therapy is really important and, um, I I don't know if that's self-care, but it feels like it. And it's been real nice and reading, you know, articles. I love articles. Send me an article. These are really sad self-care things. I, I miss massages. I miss stories but you know <laughs> i mean yeah like don't get a massage from like a stranger or something like yeah like, i yeah i i need new new eyeglasses and like i definitely need new contacts like but i'm like terrified like having someone like touch my eyes like if i go to like no i'll wait Dang. yeah i'll be okay thank you both for uh oh wait i forgot to tell you to plug all your uh projects and tell us where we can find animals and everything else that you have going on, uh, everything, everything, everything. Tell us where to find you. Um, Listen to animals on Audible because Stacy's brilliant and the piece is brilliant. And the cast is really dope. And uh, spend spend an hour or so with us at this dinner party. That's that's all I want to plug. Is animals. 
available now on Audible. <laughs> do it, do it. Thank you, Whitney. Yeah. So thank you both so much. And I guess that's that's pretend like we have like campaign flutes and uh, happy new year. Uh, <laughs> May all of you keep thriving and doing art and like bringing beauty to this world because we fucking need it. So thank you both for, for what you do. Oh, Jose, thank you. You yes. such a beautiful space for artists of color and artists of all creed, shape, type, size, ethnicity. And we're really grateful for you. We need more of you in 2021. So thank you. Thank you so much. I'll blush and like I'll, I'll go uh, buy some fries now, Stacey. So go get some fries and have fun at the Whole Foods. Yeah. Right now we're going to talk about our top five of 2020. Um, and I feel like I'm going to merge the top five between Broadway, Off-Broadway and um, digital theater because it has been a crazy year. So my number five is a soldier's play at Roundabout Theater. Um, it starred Blair Underwood and um, David Allen Greer. And it was one of my favorite plays because not only is it a show that has a group of black men on a Broadway stage at Roundabout, but it was also about a show that we don't talk about as much. We don't talk about um, black men in the military and what they go through from mental health to um, discrimination and racism. And I just felt like um, the direction was amazing. The staging was amazing and the story is, um, timeless. And I hope that because they, they had to close early because of the pandemic, I hope that um, in years to come that they can revive it so more people can see it. Uh, okay, you said a soldier's play and I, first of all, I forgot that was this year, like this year is so weird. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna say three words, Blair Underwood's ads. And yeah. thank you for reminding me of that. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and my list of favorites of this year at number five is I'm very predictable. And of course, I went with a version of my favorite play of all time, which is A Streetcar Named Desire, the oh. Audible production uh, directed by Robert O'Hara, which was supposed to happen at Williamstown this summer, starring freaking Audra Goddess oh. McDonald as Blanche Dubois and Carla Gugino as Stella. And you know, just like the cast is like incredible. Like, in fact, we did an interview a few episodes ago with Sullivan Jones, who plays Mitch and director Robert O'Hara. But, you know, like it's always so refreshing when you get to see a revival, well, listen to a revival, I guess, in this case. Mm -hmm. And it unearths new things about a show that you know so well because you know it so well. And what Robert O'Hara did directing this was to bring out all these elements that make the play even darker than it is, mm. and like even more uh, traumatic, I would say, and like more violent. Like he really highlights the way in which the male characters in Streetcar are just freaking. All of them are freaking abusers, and they're constantly, you know, taking advantage of the women and just like making their lives like hell. And I was very angry at all the men <laughs> in Streetcar. Uh, <laughs> Because it's really rare to get to encounter a production of Streetcar that doesn't like turn like Stanley into this like, you know, like lustful, like object of desire for us. Like I was, right. I was like, yeah, I was like, I wanted all the men to go like 
drown or something and leave the women alone. And <laughs> Audra is just like incredible as Blanche. I don't know how she does it, but she does it every single it's time. Every role, she just nails it. Yeah, it's like I'm. I'm so glad that we have her uh, mm. around. So thank you, Audra, and thank you everyone for joining us. Yeah, for sure. My number four is Cambodian Rock Band at Signature Theater Company, um, written by Lauren Yi. I thought that it was fantastic. It was a part play, part concert. The music, I I just felt, I just felt like I don't I don't know if I've ever seen um, such a cultural play before um, at Signature Theater. And it was, it's it's about um, it's about it, it's a very sad play about Khmer Rouge, um, the genocide drama, and I just feel like um, the music uplifted it a little bit more than it is, and I was just um, I don't know. It was just, it, it, the feeling I can't even describe when I was watching that show. Um, and I also went, I went on an Asian night, which I was, I'm not even supposed to be there, but I just felt like everyone around me, um, there should be more, let's just say there should be more um, cultural nights like that um, in on Broadway and off Broadway. Um, but I just felt like everyone was so appreciative to be there, to be in a room where people look like them, um, about a play that represents them and their culture. And I just felt like it was one of the best shows that I've seen this year. And again, it was one of the shows that shut down because of the pandemic. So I hope that um, in a way that they can revive it or bring it back so that more people can see it and enjoy it. Um, okay, at number four on my favorite shows of the year, uh, there's the Totally Fake Latino News with Culture Clash, uh, which mm. ran at La Jolla Playhouse. One of my favorite things, and one of the pros, I think, of this year has been that it has given us access to theater, not only from all over the country, but from all over the world. And getting to see the things that, you know, like, we just discussed the show that was happening at The Good Men, for instance. Mm -hmm. and we were not limited only to New York, which like, unfortunately, like we have to most of the time because we, I mean, can you imagine if we could travel like every time we wanted to go see something? Like, mm -hmm. okay, going to London for the weekend to go see something. Or anyway, uh, so La Jolla did an extraordinary uh, job this year and putting together one of the most eclectic seasons that I have ever seen. And I had never seen a show by Culture Clash and they're like one of the most influential mm. Latino uh, comedic troops in the country and but I mean like ever since I came to New York I don't think they've done any of their of their shows so what happened in this uh, totally fake Latino news is that they cannot emulate uh, nighttime you know a talk show uh, like a late night show and have you noticed Diana that there are really no late night shows in like the uh, Jay Leno and Letterman mm -hmm. style that are hosted by Latinos Mm -hmm. so, yes, yes. Yeah. And Hello, anybody yeah. listening. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, what Culture Clash did, and they did it in like record time, was that they put together something like that with like sketches and like monologues, and they were combining animation with like documentary with it's just like 
pastiche styles that work so well. Each episode is like around 10 minutes long. And I believe there's six episodes which are still streaming at the La Jolla website and on YouTube and on Facebook. And I believe that last time I checked, it was like a few months ago, on Facebook, they had amassed almost half a million views. Wow. Yeah, which can you imagine any like stage production getting to be seen by half a million people? Wow. Yeah. That just shows the need, the need and for representation as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And this was completely Mm -hmm. free. So uh, check it out if you can. Yeah, for sure. My number three is um, a Netflix production, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Um, August Wilson, classic play. Um, The reason why it's not number one is because of the ending. I was very upset at the ending that they changed it. but besides the ending for the people who haven't seen it, um, Chadwick Boseman literally nails this last play that he's done. I am so happy that this was his last work um, because it's like, you know, you know, we're gonna miss him as an actor, but he went out with a bang. I thought he nailed the role, he nailed the emotions. Um, August Wilson knows how to write men I want to say not particularly women. Um, he knew, <laughs> um, but he, and I feel like Chadwick. Um, it was just, it was just uh, under George C. Wolf's, uh, Wolf's direction. I think he just he got it, and it's one of. And I've seen a lot of films that Chadwick Boseman has been in, and I just feel like this was, this was it. You know, people are praising Black Panther, but please, please see Ma Rainey because that is Chadwick in his prime, for sure. That is so sad. Um, mm-hmm. Just, I mean, it's kind of like you kind of like forget that he's not gonna be that he's not around anymore watching this because right. like, it's performance just like jumps out of the screen, mm-hmm. and may he rest in power. And Jesus, he was so wonderful. Uh, do you think he's gonna win? Like, there's like talk that he's gonna win like all the awards and like that the Oscar already has his name. I'm hoping so. Um, he deserves it, and I hope that they push for best actor and not supporting, um, because you know I, I heard talks about putting him in the supporting role. It might help him better, but. Um, I mean, from what I saw, he nails it out of the park and it would be crazy not to give him um, a posthumous statue. Like there, he, I haven't seen The Father yet where they're talking about- um, Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins. They're saying that he's he's also um, in the running for best actor. So we'll see um, when that comes out. But I mean, Chadwick. So he good. Did you see the? Did you see the father on Broadway? Yeah, it's one of my favorite plays. It actually helps me. It helps me to understand my grandmother's dementia and where she's coming from, and how dates and times are all misconstrued in her head. But it it helped me to have more empathy for her, um, and not be you know too angry that that she has this disease and I don't know what's going on or 
you know, The Father is one of my favorite plays of all time. That's really touching. Thank you so much for sharing that. Have you seen Away From Her? I mean, I don't want to like straight into like a conversation, but have you seen No, I haven't seen that. No. Away From Her. Away From Her. Uh, Yeah, it stars Julie Christie and it was directed by Sarah Pauly. And it was the movie that made me understand my grandma's um, Mm. Alzheimer. So check it out if if you can. For sure. sure. It's, you know, like we were talking about Chadwick and one of the things that I hope we learn how to do as a society is that we give people their flowers while they're alive. Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. Which is why like I have like a bouquet of like a million roses for Tori Hall who had such an incredible year. I loved P-Valley and Stars, but I'm not gonna talk about P-Valley because number three is The Hot Wing King, Mm. which is one of those plays that most people I know didn't get to see because it was like starting uh, around the time when like everything shut down. But it was, basically I'll say this, it's a play that touched me so much and that I loved so much that people who know me know that I don't eat hot wings because I don't like, <laughs> I don't like the bones. Like, I, oh. I just can't, like any kind of food, <laughs> any kind of food that's going to get me like super dirty and like super sticky, I can't, I can't have it. I can't. So wow. I want to see this. Yeah, I want to see this. And it was such a beautiful story because again, it was, you know, like you were describing a soldier's play and this ensemble was also entirely comprised of black men and there were queer black men who got to mm. have joy and who got to be funny and who got to be sexual and who got to be emotional. And it was, I don't know, I don't think I've ever seen a play that captures, you know, queer characters who aren't white with such mm. humanity and such richness. And it was so funny. And I left the theater and I went to get Heart Wings. So that says wow. how much I loved it. And it's one of those plays. I remember when I, after I saw it, I immediately, I went on Twitter, I was like, I hope someone turns this into like a TV show or a TV movie or something, because this play needs to be seen. So fingers crossed, maybe. What's so crazy about the Hot Wing King, uh, the day theater shut down, I had tickets for that show. So every time I hear someone talk about it, I'm just like, wow, I really could have seen that show. I was like this close. Um, So I'm so glad that you like it. I loved it. I hope it comes back and or that I need it, you know, I need it to be to exist in some other form other than my memory. <laughs> mm, I love that. Oh my gosh. Um <laughs> well, uh, my number two is actually another Netflix production, not so much a play, um, but it was the 40-year-old version. Um, Rhonda Blanks, I thought. It was hilarious. It moved me. It <laughs> talked about Broadway and its elite elitism. Um, and it was just something that I would love to see staged. I don't know how that would work, but it's it, it deserves more than just a, a Netflix production. Um, but it was just 
hilarious and it brought joy to my heart um, this year where theater has been um, such a sad, <laughs> a sad, sad thing. 40-year-old um, version is one of the things that actually brought me happiness and joy. And Rhonda Blanks is so hilarious. She's such a great writer and uh, she deserves more um, than what she's given. She definitely deserves more. So yeah, that's one of my favorite play shows um, this year. <laughs> play shows. I love that. I love that show. Um, my number two favorite show this year was Circle Jerk, which my fake Ooh. friends, which kind of became like a whole like internet like phenomenon. Um, I love this show so much because it showed not only the industry, but also like the audience members and artists, how to do something that's super bold and super like out there and idiosyncratic and adventurous. And it was, you know, it was like, it wasn't recorded. It was like streamed live every single night they had a performance. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, like, I don't even think I got most of the show because it was just like jam-packed with all these references to like um, gay white, you know, what gay white men do on the internet. And most of the time I was like, I wish I had like one of those like, you know, like pop-up trivia tracks to follow. <laughs> so I was like, I have no idea what's happening. But the performers were so committed and the directing was so good and everything was so perfectly done that I just like gave myself to it. I was like, you know what, I don't know what most of these references mean. I never actually went and researched them because I didn't even know how to start. Like what okay. is a reference and what isn't? But mm -hmm. it's in that like space where like what is and what isn't where I think that the show uh, excelled so well because people were like, is it a movie? You know, that conversation mm -hmm. that we've heard like so many times this year, like is it a movie? Was it a show? Was it theater? Was it not? And I'm like, who cares what it is? It's just like freaking fantastic. So I hope we get to see more, um, more productions that are streamed live. Cause like, I, I kind of missed, you know, I, I saw it a couple of times and I kind of, not kind of, I totally missed that whole thing. Like where you go to see a show and then you go back and see it again. Something's different, mm. something has changed. And mm -hmm. yeah, nothing on Netflix is gonna give us that. So <laughs> at all. That's such a good choice. Oh man, I'm I'm very upset I didn't have that in my top five because it was one of the best digital productions to come out this year. Um, my number one is a culmination of all the TikTok musicals that we have received um, this year. And one that is coming to digital Broadway, Ratatouille the musical um, based off of the 2007 Pixar movie. Um, first of all, the future of theater is in great hands because these TikTokers are teenagers and young and creating some of the best, best stuff, the best content. And I think Ratatouille is going to be phenomenal. It sounds funny, but what I've seen on TikTok, um, the music is so catchy. Um, the production that they're making now is super diverse. Um, 
I'm just so excited to see if these are our creators. I can't imagine producers and actors in the next 10 to 15 years. And um, thank you, TikTok, for bringing 2020 um, so much joy in theater. I just think it's phenomenal. And oh, I am so excited for the future of theater. That's that's lovely. I haven't seen anything about about Retri. Uh, I you know I downloaded TikTok only this year uh, mm -hmm. when when that man who shall not be named on the show wanted to ban it and he banned mm. it and I was like I was like I had never had any interest in TikTok because I feel like I'm like ancient like I'm too old for that and I was like this man is not gonna tell me what I can <laughs> and cannot do so I downloaded. Uh, TikTok, but I'm still like getting like the hang of it. So I'm totally gonna mm -hmm. check that out. I think it's gonna be phenomenal. There's so many. Andre De Shields is in it. I mean, like, there's. I'm like blown away by the cast, um, and just haven't seen it with the TikTok creators. This cast is going to propel it to something that was already phenomenal on TikTok. And I just can't wait to see um, the full production. That's amazing. And I I don't know if it's cheating, but I have a tie mm. at number one, but I'll explain why. Because uh, <laughs> I, I really don't like ties either. Uh, but uh, my, my productions at tie number one are basically a tie because they're kind of like the same idea and they were both created by the same person and they're kind of like riffing on the same thing. So I decided that I could like combine them as one and like give them my number one position for 2020. And they are uh, both shows by Brian Lobel, mm -hmm. one called Binge, which also happened at La Jolla Playhouse, which like I guess officially is like my favorite theater company of wow. 2020. <laughs> and the other show is called You Have to Forgive Me, You Have to Forgive Me, You Have to Forgive Me. And mm. if you are not familiar with Brian Lobel's work, he basically takes, he loves television. So, and You Have to Forgive Me, for instance, what happens is that he creates an entire show about Sex and the City. And if you know Sex and the City, you know, but you have to forgive me, you have to forgive me, you have to forgive me, yes. Uh, it's like super like niche, like super specific, super like fan oriented. So for you have to forgive me, for instance, what happens is that he sends you a survey with every question that Sarah Jessica Parker's character, Carrie Bradshaw asked all through like the 92 episodes of Sex and the City. And wait, it's not 92 episodes, right? That's too many. Anyway, I don't know. Um, <laughs> So he sends you all the questions that she asked and then you fill them out. Like it's one of those shows that gives you homework in advance. Oh and my. then you send him the survey back. And then what happens is that over Skype or over Zoom, he crafts a custom performance made just for you. And then at the, yeah. And then at the end of the show, he prescribes you a Sex and a City episode that's gonna help you. Yeah, it's gonna help you with your condition or whatever. It is stunning and like it's like it feels kind of weird that it's my number one because it's actually the first digital show that I saw, mm. like not a week even like into the shutdown. I was like, I need to see this, 
And then uh, Binge is an extension of this, let's say that happened at La Jolla. And he had a team of people from all over the world who were doing the same thing with different shows. So for instance, my brother got to do it. And I love this so much because my brother is in Honduras and I got to buy him a ticket so he could see a show at La Jolla Playhouse. And when he did Binge, it was like the same concept. You get a survey, you fill it up, like you send it back and then you got assigned, let's call them a doctor or a therapist. <laughs> and uh, you were prescribed an episode. So my brother got Gilmore Girls, for instance. And wow. what I, yeah. And when I did mine, because Sex and the City was one of the options again, I was like, I'm gonna get Sex and the City. Uh, and I got The Simpsons and I got to do it. Yeah, and I got to have a custom-made performance from this like incredible uh, artist there, Cecil Butler, who was in Berlin. So she's in Berlin, I'm in Brooklyn. We're talking about life and we're talking about art and we're talking about The Simpsons. And then at one point I was like, do you mind if I have a cigarette? And she was like, well, I can't smell it, so go ahead. And in fact, I'm going to have one as well. So we were both having a cigarette. It was a stress cigarette. Like, I'm trying not to smoke that that much. Um, it was, I don't know, like, I felt <laughs> so connected to someone. And considering that I've barely seen any 3D people uh, since March, I just loved this. I don't, I don't know. It's like, it felt like magic what Brian Lobel and company got to do with this, uh, with Binge and you have to forgive me, you have to forgive me, you have to forgive me. Uh, I loved it so much and I hope that they keep doing it, uh, you know, as often as they can. Like it was the one show I think, Binge was one show that I told so many people to see. And I, I don't know, it, it made my year way more bearable than, than it was. And mm. it reminded me of how important, yeah, connection is so, Again, thank you, Brian Lobel, and thank you, uh, Season Butler, for your work. And I'm sorry I that I didn't theater. get to get all the episodes. Yeah, I love theater that makes you feel like that. That just makes you feel better. I mean, theater as a whole makes me feel better, but like shows in particular that just bring you so much joy. It's great. I wanted to like hug my laptop. <laughs> So uh, if listeners tell us what your favorite show of 2020 was, you can find us on Twitter or let us know on our Patreon. So Ayana, do you want to introduce the next part of our uh, New Year's episode? Yeah, so we gathered a few uh, theater creators for them to personally talk about um, their favorite shows of 2020. And here is young Jean Lee um, with her favorite show of 2020. The highlight of my 2020 theater viewing experience was Lessons in Survival at the Vineyard, and in particular, the wonderful directing work of the brilliant Tyler Thomas, who directed eight episodes each uh, between 30 and 50 minutes long. It's, it was just a huge amount of work done in a very short period of time, and it was just exquisitely done. Um, the design was great, great actors, great performances, um, and just you know a beautifully executed project that uh, deeply moved me. Okay, there was one thing, Tavi Magar did this piece with The Shed, um, she had been working on a Claudia Rankine piece and they put out this film project and 
I thought it was amazing. And she's done some amazing things in the quarantine that really inspired me. And also Danya Tamer did a kind of beautifully directed piece, uh, 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 virtual version of Heroes of the Fourth Turning. And I feel like those two, Danya and TB, I feel like they were messing around with the medium in this beautiful way. And also I'm going to mention someone who's not my friend, although I wish he was. Fiona Apple's quarantine album drop was huge. I thought that was a triumph, a total artistic triumph. Loved it. Loved it. Yeah. Hi, my name is Sammy Kennald and I am a director and uh, my favorite theater going experience of this very bizarre year would probably have to be um, from this December. Um, I was in lockdown in London and when we all got out of lockdown a few um, West End venues were able to reopen and I was so fortunate to get to go see um, Les Mis uh, in concert on the West End um, with 50% capacity in the house um, but it was so it was such a like triumphant evening of theater um, because all the artists involved were just so grateful to be um, back on stage and we were so grateful to to be there and you know um the west end's return was was tragically um short-lived but i will remember that night for so long forever um because uh the 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 spirit of determination of everybody in that theater was just like at an all-time high and you felt the show in ways that you'd never felt before and all the lyrics sort of sounded completely different um, in a way that I never would have anticipated and it, I mean I've seen the show so many times I've directed the show but it was just a completely different emotional experience and I'm so grateful that the theater has the power to do that and um, I'm so grateful that I happen to be in the right place at the right time to be able to see live theater this December um, and so um, I hope that it is a beacon of more to come in 2021 as we um, all get back on our feet and, and back to the theater and um, grateful for for that experience and all the you know heroes on on the West End who worked really hard to um, make shows like that possible. Hi, this is Karinad Smith, and uh, you've asked me what my favorite show of 2020 was. Uh, this odd year. Uh, gosh, for me, it's a toss-up. So it's a tie. Uh, and it's mainly to do with shows that I've just been thinking about kind of like on a daily basis. Um, and then had to do something with the directness of their engagement with the audience um, and also their intimacy. Uh, in their approach. And the first one is uh, the piece I Sinna, the Poet by Tim Crouch, performed by Tim Crouch uh, for Unicorn Theater uh, on Zoom uh, this summer. And uh, it's just, uh, I still think it's one of the best things I've seen in a very long time. Um, I love that play, uh, but I, I think this rendering of it it was just so immediate and so powerful and vulnerable. Uh, so that stays with me. I Sinna the Poet by Tim Crouch. And the other one with the tie 
uh, is a piece called Telephone uh, by Coney, which is a, a game and theater game and play company, uh, I guess they describe themselves as, Agency of Coney. Uh, the showrunner of that company is Tasso Stevens. And Telephone is a piece of one-on-one -on -one, uh, for small audience uh, interactive theater uh, about memory, time, geography, history, lineage. Uh, and I just, it was, you know, at the time I, when I saw it, I I was saw it, I was in it, <laughs> you know, I was participating in it. Um, it just felt, uh, kind of didn't know what hit me, you know what I mean? It was so uh, unguarded and uh, warm and inviting. I felt there was such care that Tasso's uh, had taken in uh, with the audience. Um, surprisingly deft piece and also a piece that with not a lot of frills around it, do you know? Like very, very um, not fancy, <laughs> not fancy, not a lot of wizardry, but just a lot of uh, direct human connection, even on Zoom, uh, using the webinar function. So, uh, and I think in terms of connection, it was a piece where, you know, the piece happened, it runs about an hour, and then afterwards we ended up in the audience with Tassos talking for another hour just because we wanted to hang out. And I don't think that happens very often. <laughs> so um, it replicated some of the things that I love about theater, which is the conversation after and the sort of ease of that. And uh, I felt like he had created a safe space and a caring space for that to happen. So my two pieces are I Sin of the Poet by Tim Crouch and Telephone by Coney. Um, my name is Denise Stephanie Mendoza and my favorite show of 2020 that I can remember right now because 2020 was long, you know? Um, but my favorite show I gotta say was Queen's Gambit and um, that's because uh, the lead was a woman because she was playing chess, which is a male-dominated game, and she kicked all those men's asses. And I also loved that she had a personal struggle going on in the background. And I thought it was really impressive that they were able to make chess suspenseful for me. <laughs> because I don't play chess. Uh, I mean, I, I think like I've played it once in uh, the last 10 years, and I'm still unsure of all the rules, but I thought, uh, yeah. I was like on the edge of my seat, like, oh my God, she moved that piece. I don't know what that piece means, but like, it looks serious, you know? So Queen's Gambit, absolutely. Also the acting, so good. And I love that like her, I don't know if it's a spoiler. I don't know if you're gonna include this, but but I love that her friend like uh, comes back in the end and it's not about a man saving her, but it's like her sister, in a way saving her, you know, because it's like families who you decide your family is. It was just such a lovely story. And I love the the mom who unfortunately dies. I'm so sorry again for the spoiler. I should have, okay. Ooh, Queen's Gambit, number one. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's Jasmine Bachelor. I'm a theater maker in Brooklyn, New York. And I was in the surrogate this year. And my favorite thing about 2020 uh, theatrically 
was Rada Blank's 40-year-old version. I love that film. I love her. I love the way her mind works. I love that it's in black and white. I love that theater makers in New York really saw themselves. I really saw myself. And I'm just really grateful that she made such a brilliant piece of work and that it's being celebrated. So if you haven't seen it, it's streaming on Netflix right now. And I'm just so happy to be able to talk about it because I love her. And if you're seeing this, Rada, I love you. I love your work. Okay. Bye, guys. Hi, my name is Daniel K. Isaac. I am an actor and writer based in New York City. And I normally go to see the theater maybe once to four or five times a week. And because we were unable to do that this year, I instead pivoted and read a bunch of fiction, which I will try to give you my favorite recommendations in under three minutes. So these are in alphabetical order. If I Had Your Face by Francis Cha, which is being turned into an Apple TV show. So I uh, highly recommend that. Um, Days of Distraction by Alexandra Chang. Bestiary by Kaming Chang. Um, common theme, I love supporting Asian American authors. Permanent Record by Mary H.K. Choi. She also has, um, her first book was called Emergency Contact and she has a new book coming out in 2021. So pre-order that from your local bookstore. Cleanness by Garth Greenwell. Um, I would also read his first book, What, um, what Belongs to You, What, yeah, What Belongs to You. Um, this book is, is very sexy. This is, this is NSFW, gay, queer, sexy. The Vegetarian by Han Kang. I know I'm behind, people read this way before, but yes, Kevin Kwan's Sex and Vanity. If you like the Crazy Rich Asians trilogy, this one, it's great uh, summer reading, which I feel like in the time of a pandemic, everything should be summer reading. Paige Turner, really entertaining, uh, makes you want to go to Capri in Italy really badly. Super fun. Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, also being developed for an Apple TV show with uh, our own Broadway's and off-Broadway's finest Jin Ha in one of the lead roles. So read this before watching, which is my rule of um, book adaptations. Oh, so good. Have tissues close by. I'm at two minutes, fuck. Uh, Severance by Ling Ma, if you wanna um, experience a different pandemic in fiction. Everything I Never Told You by Celesting. Um, and then her second book got turned into a Hulu TV show, Little Fires Everywhere. There There by Tommy Orange. So good, oh, so good. The Groom Will Keep His Name by Matt Ortile. Um, really funny uh, autobiographical essays by a Filipino-American queer. Great. Oh, this one's coming out in 2021. Lurkers by Sandy Tan. Pre-order this, trust me, trust me will be one of your favorite reads in 2021. Real Life by Brandon Taylor. We were at the Lambda Literary Retreat together. This book is so good. And also pre-order his next one, Filthy Animals. Here for it by R. Eric Thomas. This will make you laugh out loud, which we could all use more laughing. And then Brian, Wa Brian Washington's my new favorite author ever. Lot, short stories, and then Memorial. Ugh, so good, have tissues. So beautiful. And then last but not least, Charles Yu's Interior Chinatown, um, which also is being adapted, I believe, 
And uh, these were some of my favorite reads of 2020. And I will probably be reading a lot more in 2021 because, you know, we're still in quarantine. But a happy new year and thank you Token Theater friends for all that you do and be safe and well. Thank you to all the artists who were so generous with their time and their, you know, again, like this year, like the last thing you want to do is like ask anyone to do anything <laughs> for you. So I am so happy and I'm so grateful that all of you, um, you know, gave us your time and your your beautiful works and uh, shared your love of uh, theater with all of us. So Ayana, do you have any, uh, what are your resolutions for 2021? Um, to bring Broadway back. No, I'm kidding. Um, to, <laughs> to just enjoy um, the theater that is given to us because theater, 2020 has shown me that theater doesn't always have to be a communal experience inside of a house. Um, but I definitely think that um, the future of theater is in good hands. We have seen some amazing content creators this year. Um, we have seen... Um, you know, editors and producers bring things out um, that would never have um, been produced if theater was still around um, Broadway and off-Broadway. But I, I definitely think that we are in good hands and I'm very excited to see what happens in 2021. I love that. Like, would you have imagined back in March that at the end of the year, you would be feeling this way? No, I thought that really, I thought that it would be a month and we would be back in uh, seeing our shows and I would be experiencing six like I wanted to this year. Um, but it's okay. I definitely think that it's okay. It was hard for a couple of months. I'm not going to lie. Um, being without theater is something that has brought my mental health joy. Um, but I, I feel like... Um, that we're okay and that 2020 is going to be like the, the 2021 is going to be the light at the end of the tunnel. Like something big is going to happen. I just, I'm a feeling person. And I know that after what this year was that next year is going to be um, something great. And I'm very excited, looking forward to it. It better be. And I want to, <laughs> I want to thank you. Ayana, my new year's resolution is that you, and all our new co-hosts are gonna be coming back constantly. For um, sure. <laughs> it's such a joy for, for, for me to have all of you here. So uh, thank you also to our listeners and to the people who watch our, you know, our videos on YouTube and to the people who visit our website. And thank you so much to our Patreon contributors who are making this happen uh, and who have been you know, there from day one. And, Again, I don't know, like, I don't know how any of you can be so generous in 2020. And I hope that we bring a little bit of joy into your lives. You definitely give tons of joy uh, to, to me. And I'm not going to cry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, you know, if you had asked me that at the end of 2020, I would be filled with so, you know, so much hope and so much mm -hmm. love and so much joy, I would have been like, Ayana, you are cray. <laughs> Same. Yeah, but I, I'm so excited for 2021. And your wish is granted, because I will be back. <laughs> as long as you'll have uh, 
<laughs> I love that so much. We're going to talk about that the second we finish recording this episode. <laughs> and I'm uh, Jose Solis. And I'm Ayana Prescott. Have a happy new year and please drink lots of champagne. And, <laughs> you know, we're over 2020. So let's do this. Bye 2020. <laughs>